Hey everyone, this is Josh back with Cardboard Chronicles, and this week we're going to do another preview for the National, this time for the 2021 National. We haven't had a National in a couple years, so I thought it'd be good to uh, you know do this one again, and I brought back the, the same guest as last time. Justin, how's it going, man? Josh, can't believe we're finally doing it. We got interrupted last year. Uh, we're back. Let's do it again. The, the once a year, I feel like is the perfect amount for just like yeah. how much chaos it is. But but two years is like I feel like we've never even had one before. This is too. I long. know we were we were going through our notes, and you know we'll we'll try and keep this under under four hours. But again, it, it thought it'd be a good idea to kind of refresh everybody on national one hundred and one stuff. There's certainly been new things that have happened over the the past twenty four months since we've done one of these. So. Uh, it'll be it'll be some old, some new, but um, again, it, this is no matter how many times you've been in the national, it's always good to kind of reset and prepare yourself for that five or six day stretch because it's it, it's it's always something. Yeah, yeah. So throw this on the uh, podcast form and uh, just listen to this whenever you got a couple hours to spare. Um, why don't you start us off? Uh, just jump into like the history of the national, kind of what it is for anyone that's not sure. Yeah, so the, this will be the four. God, this is the fortieth. I think this is the fortieth anniversary since last year was canceled. But the first one was in nineteen eighty in L.A. It has bounced at different locations across the country: um, L.A., Dallas, Baltimore, Cleveland. Uh, I think there was an Atlanta one thrown in there at some point. Uh, but at, for the probably the past twenty years or so, it's fifteen twenty years. It's rotated between. Uh, three or four of the same locations. So those being uh, Chicago, um, it was in uh, Cleveland at the IX Center, but, you know, rest in peace, IX Center, Cleveland, unfortunately, they went out of business. So that venue is no longer. Um, and then in its stead, we have replaced it with Atlantic City, um, which we'll get into Atlantic City in 2022. Uh, but basically, the, the whole reason that the locations have kind of stayed the same. The, the Chicago and Cleveland locations are, are fairly central um, to both coasts is because there's a few things. Uh, there's quite a few uh, older collectors, shall we say, um, who are concentrated on the, the East Coast and anything beyond the Mississippi is not something that they're willing to do. Um, so kind of that the, the older generation, that tenure still rules the day in terms of where the, uh, the locations are and why we you know, haven't bounced back out to Anaheim. I think Anaheim was 2000, late 2000s at some point. I want to say 08, 07 maybe. Uh, but, you know, Anaheim or Vegas or anything like that. So um, the first reason just being that, you know, a lot of the old guys have the tenure and their vote matters more than, than the young kids. Um, so that's why we, we stay more east than west. Uh, but then, you know, Chicago and, and Cleveland as well, but especially Chicago, I mean, O'Hare Airport, you're going to be able to see the convention center from O'Hare when you fly in. So O'Hare is the biggest airport in the world. Um, you can get to O'Hare International on no more than probably two flights from just about anywhere in the world. Uh, so it's just the the simplicity of being able to fly in there, hop on a hotel shuttle, hop on an Uber. Um, there's probably a dozen or so hotels just within that you know, 1500 yard radius of the, of the airport. Uh, there's restaurants, there's bars, there's all that good stuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into a little bit kind of the, the pros and cons of the venue itself once we're, once we're inside, but in terms of accessibility for being able to, uh, to get to the national, like Chicago is the best. It's just, it's just the easiest for both coasts. It's the easiest for, 
uh, international travelers, um, which is, you know, which is why I'm always a, a big fan of Chicago. It's, it's just super easy for everybody to get to. And, you know, selfishly, Chicago usually skews more, more basketball than maybe some yeah. of the other locations. Yeah, that's a great point. A lot of people, myself included, have been complaining about wanting it on the West Coast and then Cleveland having it there. But you're right, Chicago, just it just works for the most people and it makes the most sense. All right, let's get to the actual schedule and the logistics. So the main thing is to go to nsccshow.com. That'll be the easiest place to start. Check out their site. All the details are there. Why don't you walk us through just sort of the high level uh, like days and times and stuff? Yep, you got it. So uh, as you mentioned, it's it's nfccshow.com. Um, I dumped all over the website two years ago because it was still <laughs> it was still pretty crappy. It wasn't great. Uh, they have done a lot of work to to revamp it to streamline streamline things. So it's much much easier now to find information information than it was a couple of years ago. So obviously, hats off for that. Um, there's a few different things I'll, I'll point people to. The first is obviously the the show hours, uh, and I'll just I'll just walk through the the whole week again. This doesn't apply to everybody, but on Tuesday, so Tuesday is early dealer setup. Um, it's an additional fee for dealers to be able to come in early and, and get get into the the showroom floor on Tuesday. Uh, but from eight to four thirty, that's officially when the show starts for dealers. I think some of the corporate sponsors can get on get in on Monday, but that doesn't matter for us. So so Tuesday for about ten hours, uh, there's a dealer setup. Um, we'll get into again a little bit later about some of the things that often happen during dealer setup and why general attendees might want to recalibrate their expectations uh, when it comes to things like grading. Um, but the show opens from eight to four thirty on Tuesday for dealers. On Wednesday, the show hours are, let's see, 4 to 8. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, show hours are 10 to 6. And then Sunday, show hours are 10 to 5. Um, and the important point there is that, so when you go to the, the website, you'll see options for different ticket packages. So there's a general admission that you can buy in advance or day of. Um, I think they usually, if you buy it in, in advance, you get like a 10% discount regardless of the 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 ticket tier. Um, so it's a little bit cheaper to buy in advance than the day of, um, but there's general admission and then there's multiple different VIP uh, levels and all those different VIP levels kind of, they get you different things. You know, there's the first level of VIP gets you some autograph tickets. Um, it gets you I, maybe just some other goodie bags. I think the super VIP gets you a parking pass along with some of the um, some more of the VIP like autograph tickets and then the the higher level VIP tiers. I, I honestly I just didn't even look at those because the main the main thing that you get with VIP with the with the extra extra um, extra charge is you get access to the showroom floor at 930 on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and at 3.30 on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, this is pretty important because that extra 30 minutes allows you to get in before just the, the complete mad rush of all the, the general admission. Um, you will still wait in a line to get in, uh, but I can assure you that line is, it's much shorter and it's much better, I think, just for your general sanity of, of being ready to get on the floor and, and start looking around and enjoying yourself to be able to have that 
additional 30 minutes under your belt to kind of start to spread out, you know, catch your breath, get a feel for the showroom floor, um, you know, maybe start to get a sense of, you know, this is how the rows work. This is how the, um, you know, up and down, left to right. Um, you might have some booths that you want to look at specifically so you can just start to make some laps and figure that stuff out. But again, that that 30 minutes really allows you just additional time to be able to uh, to understand what the show is, what it looks like, where things are. Um, because again, we've, we've seen it before every single year um, where as soon as they open the doors, there's, I mean, there's literally people running across the exhibition floor to, to do whatever it is that they feel they need to run to. Um, so it, it turns into madness pretty quickly. So just to be able to have that 30 minute head start, uh, I think is, is very, very important. Um, and then just from a, a logistical perspective in terms of what else is around there, like kind of like what I mentioned, there's tons of hotels, tons of, tons of restaurants, bars, there's a casino, you know, we'll get into that a little bit more later, but, uh, all the most, most of it is within walking distance or no more than like a, a five minute Uber ride. So again, it's, you're going to, you're going to go to a spot and for the next four five, six, seven days, you're going to pretty much stay in that spot the entire time. You know how uh, when you get early entrance to like Disneyland, the first thing you do is go straight to the big ride. Yep. You go straight to the long line. So it, a lot of people are probably thinking the 30 minutes is just get in line for grading. And we'll talk about that more later. But the 30 minutes early head start on grading is definitely a huge uh, advantage. All right. Um, so, a lot, so the interesting thing about this show, the most interesting thing to me, is that we have this two-year gap. And in between that two-year gap, the hobby has basically exploded like it never has before. So this is going to be the first national for a lot of people. Um, and people have been exposed to these different smaller shows kind of leading up to it. Maybe give people an expectational difference between what they've been experiencing to this. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great point. Um, I think it's, first of all, I think the additional show exposure is, is great because you can help me out on this on timetables, but the first, when was the first Dallas show like September maybe? Yeah, and that I was kind of the first that. one that, <clears throat> excuse me, that got people back into attending live shows. And then there was, you know, there was obviously, uh, there was Dallas, there was Grant's Wisconsin Dells show, uh, the Miami show, uh, some of, uh, uh I can't remember names now. This is terrible, but like some shows up in the Northeast, things like that. So there, there've actually been, I would say, twelve to eighteen good sized shows that have taken place that people are traveling to and have been very well received. Um, I guess the the difference between those shows and the national is is just the it's just the scope. Um, again, I I went through and tried to put some rough numbers together, but the national is, uh, you know, it's it's four to 500 dealers, um, just depending on how many people are, are actually at the, the single booth. The number of booths is six to 700. Um, those booths also include the, the huge corporate booths. So like in the middle, you're going to see the way that the Rosemont uh, showroom floor is kind of the, the orientation is that you'll walk in and you'll see a bunch of dealer, like common man dealer booths, for lack of a better way to put it. And then in the middle, you'll see You'll see Panini, you'll see Upper Deck, you'll see Tops, you'll see Heritage, you'll see Golden. So it's it's not only larger in scope from a dealer and a dealer table perspective or a booth perspective, but it's also it's also got that corporate element as well. Um, so again, the, well, I know I've heard a lot of people um, say to varying degrees that like the national isn't necessarily as important this year as it has been in in years past because there has been more. 
uh, show accessibility and options for people to to buy, sell, and trade. And and you know that fair point. It's it's not wrong. Um, but at the same time, it's it's the Super Bowl. Like you know, I, we said this in 2019, and and it's going to hold true every single year. It's like this is this is the show you go to. This is the show that everybody brings their absolute best stuff. Um, if you're looking for something super specific, if you're looking for generalities, um, this is this is probably this is probably your best chance to find it. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're you're on a, a dollar box dive budget, if you're on a, a super high end budget, um, everything in between. You know, the, the national is the one time of year that everybody will bring their their best and their brightest, and they will put it out. Um, they will have it in a backpack and they will be either ready to share it with friends, uh, to try and sell it, to try and trade it or whatever they want to do with it. So I, the, the importance of the other shows that have popped up over the past eight months is not lost on me in the slightest. And I think it's actually great that people will have more large scale show experience heading into the national. It won't be as overwhelming. Um, but I, I don't care how many shows you've been to, how many nationals, how many Dallas shows or regional shows or whatever. It's, it, this will be my ninth time setting up. And like, I'm always intimidated, like for the first 10 to 15 minutes I get on the floor, like it, seriously, it doesn't matter every single day. It's like, wow, this is, you know, this, this is big. You've got, you've got your one week a year to, to try and do what you want to do. And, and there's so much to do from both a show and a non-show perspective. So it's, um, it, th there's nothing else like the national, like God, God love everybody who's worked their asses off on, uh, the different regional shows. Um, but, but the national it's, 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 there's a reason it's one time a year. Yeah. I was at the Dallas show last month and there was a couple of corporate booths, but it was, it was nothing like what you're describing at the national where like, they basically take the whole center and it's just like this huge red carpeted area with just massive displays and like walking areas basically and the overall show floor is you know three to four times the size of dallas so it's it's huge mm -hmm. um it's it's three, to, it's three to four yeah it's three to four times the size of dallas and it will still be as packed as yes. all of these all of these other shows you know again that yeah so that's something the gun too much but like it it will be wall-to-wall -wall people that's the next point that was dude dallas was like you're definitely brushing shoulders. There's tons and tons of people. The foot traffic is insane. The aisles were fairly thin. And and so when I say like Rosemont is physically bigger, it's the ratio is going to be about the same though. It's going to be very busy in the halls. Uh, that was one thing we liked about Cleveland was that it was just a huge, massive hangar with like tons of tons of space. This isn't, this is not going to be the case in Rosemont. It is pretty tight. Um, do you have anything else to add about that? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I mean, there's the main thing with with Rosemont, like you said, is that it's there's just not at least on the showroom floor. There's there's nowhere to spread out like you. You have a very fixed area of space and, and that's about as far as you can go. Um, I I'm not entirely sure if they will be setting up just kind of some more lobby type seating or maybe just I, I don't want to call them relaxation areas, but just just basically areas to get away from the showroom floor madness, like outside in the lobby or there's some there's some offshoot halls uh, just to, I think, the left of the the entrance doors when you come in. So um, I could see them setting up maybe some more options for seating and be able to get some personal space and things like that. Um, but I guess the main thing main thing on this before we we move on is that for a lot of people, this is going to be their first time back out at an event that has a lot of people at it post-COVID. So you, whether you've been to shows before, 
Um, you've been out in public before since this is all finally, you know, started to break. Um, or if this is your first time, like you are, you are going to be shoulder to shoulder. Like you're going to be sliding by people. You're going to be brushing up against people. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's going to be, it's going to be kind of nerve wracking. Um, so I would just say, you know, keep, keep that in mind, kind of prepare yourself. Uh, if, if, if you still want to wear a mask that please do it, you know, it's, it, it's no issue whatsoever. Um, if that helps you be more comfortable in a, a very crowded space, you know, it, who cares, go for it. So that, I think that's just kind of the main thing is that Rosemont is, is a, is a very, much more fixed space than, than Cleveland. And you are going to be rubbing up against people for as, as long as you're there, there are ways to, to escape it and get a, and get a breather. Um, but it's just something that, that you need to be ready for, especially like if you haven't been out yet at a public event that's got or in a public place that has a lot of pe a lot of people or people in a concentrated kind of restricted area. Yeah. And then my favorite tidbit of advice that I always give and we have it noted here is your home base, you know, your safe space. So like uh, when you get there, it is going to be super overwhelming. So if you have something predetermined or planned about where you want to go <clears throat> when you need your space away whether that's someone's booth that you trust where you can put your backpack down or going to the lobby having a meeting place with some friends or whatever um <clears throat> it's super important because once you're in there uh the time just goes by real quick and you don't really there's not much planning happening anymore the chaos ensues yeah once you're it's it's no different than a casino i mean once you're in you're in you know i i always joke with people it's like i, I don't really eat much at all during the course of the show it's you know it's like do you want to you want to go outside and grab lunch or just like the, the physical act of going out to get lunch takes time or like you know you can get uber eats to the show but it's like you got to go outside and you got to pick it up and you got to order it. and it's like as dumb as that sounds you just you just get so sucked into the event the atmosphere uh for any number of different reasons that like you said it's just time basically just collapses on itself and then before you know it, it's like you're getting the 15 minute announcement at the end of the day that the show's about to close. It's like, oh God, <laughs> but all I've eaten there is like some almonds and a banana. So, and then because of all the people, this is just the PSA. Please shower. Please wear your deodorant. You didn't write deodorant, but I'm saying deodorant. Brush your no, teeth works. and wear socks for God's sakes. No sandals. And we. We all we say this every year. We joke about it every year. And I've I've had people be like, why you know why did you why did you say that? And it's like I've never experienced that. Well, good for you because when you do experience it, you're like, sweet Jesus, <laughs> this is this is the grossest thing ever. And it it's pretty it's a bummer that we need to reinforce reinforce kind of like the the bottom rung of, of personal hygiene. But it just you know when you're around people, just try and be a person clean bathed showered brushed person and if i see someone with sandals and no socks i'm gonna look at you and be like that dude doesn't have any socks on right now so don't go that way josh will publicly it's, shame you if your hygiene is not up to snuff it's not even just for me like you're gonna be worn out wearing sandals like you're walking all day you need socks oh, and shoes. Too, get some yeah. get some nice yeah. shoes all right the biggest question for me every year is what do i bring and we'll start with cards. Which cards do you bring? That's a little bit different for you because you're a dealer, but try to put yourself in the average person's mindset. What, what cards are you bringing? Uh, yes. So I think the first place to start is 
you know, personal collection versus non-personal collection. Um, because the, the overarching theme that I'm sure we'll talk about multiple times when it comes to the actual cardboard itself is that if, if you bring cards and people see those cards, people are going to want to buy them or they're going to want to trade for them. So it's a, I, the logical starting point for that is put things into a personal collection versus non-personal collection piles. Um, try and figure out what that right balance is because there are going to be opportunities, not necessarily for you to, if you want to bring personal collection stuff, you don't have to show all of that off to every single person that you meet or every single dealer, you know, whether it's, if you want to put some of those personal collection items that you just want to, you know, you've met some people on Instagram or Facebook and you want to show them off like a, a player collection or something like that, put those in a separate box that you never even show that box to dealers. So you're not even tempted to, uh, to sell them, or you just don't have to deal with the question, how much do you want for this? Um, because again, every single card that you pull out at some point, every single dealer, every single person will ask what, you know, is it available? How much do you want for it? So I think that's kind of the, the first step is that if you bring a card, regardless of what box it's in, there is a very real chance that you might not go, go home with it. So the main thing to keep in mind there is that if, if these cards are truly personal collection and you're just bringing them to, to show off and enjoy with friends, then put them somewhere where they, were, where they will not get crossed up with that inventory, with that trade bait that you are going to be actively shopping on throughout the course of the show. Um, so that would be kind of the first step is, is personal collection versus non-personal collection. From there, the next logical step or kind of thing I would think about would be only bring as much or as literal as little as you are comfortable bringing. So whether that's your personal risk tolerance for a quantity of cards, a dollar amount of cards, um, if depending on your your method of transportation, if you're driving, um, you can obviously <clears throat> bring a lot more than you could if you were flying. If you are flying, it's a matter of, you know, how much can I fit in a carry-on duffel bag? If I want to bring more, am I comfortable checking a bag with sports cards in it? Uh, your insurance. Your insurance, yep. Do you have insurance on your collection? Like, how does your insurance policy cover uh, you bringing cards to different shows? Um, but again, the another thing that we're going to repeat a lot throughout this, however many hours we go, is... Um, you have to be comfortable with your show experience. So if you if you have a personal collection or your collection is 100 cards and you bring 95 of those just in case, you know, a big deal, the big deal might come along, you're going to be responsible for those 95 cards for your entire show experience for as long as you're there. So if if that dollar amount of cards or that number of that quantity of cards is too much, if you're sick, if you don't want to lug them around on the showroom floor, it's like these are all things you have to take into consideration when you're putting things into boxes to to bring to the show. So again, spend spend some time before the show. And when I say before the show, I don't mean like the week of the show. I mean like <laughs> weeks before you actually leave, um, and just start trying to organize your collection into some of those different piles and those priority priorities, and just figure out you know what would I be comfortable wheeling around the entire show and having on me the entire time? Um, and, and when we say comfortable, there's a lot of factors that go into that comfort level. Um, let's see, lugging everything around. Oh, okay. So for those things that, for those things that you do want to bring that you're going to make available, whether it's trade bait, it's personal collection stuff, 
uh, whatever the case might might be. This is this is the dealer hat, obviously, but please have values on it. Um, again, it's I can't tell you how it can get a little annoying when somebody shows you a box of of ten or twenty cards or whatever. When you ask, you know, hey, somebody's like, oh, I like that. Oh, okay, cool. Do you have stuff to trade? Here's a box. Okay, I'll look. I'll look at this stuff. And you go through the cards and you're like, okay, how about this one? I don't know, man. Okay. How about this one? I'm, I'm not sure. How about this one? I don't know. I really like it, but I'm open, open offers. It's like, it's just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that online. You, you, you wouldn't conduct business like that online, whether you're in an Instagram chat, a Facebook group or, or whatever. So just at least as an initial starting point and your values are your values. The dealer's values are the dealer values. Like if you want, if you want to be really high on something because you need a big number to move it, cool. That's that's perfectly fine. But just just have numbers or values in mind. So when you do kind of start the the deal process, that it's not kind of a one way street of you knowing the other person's numbers, but mm -hmm. being you know vague or evasive with what you're looking for on yours because for for whatever reason. So that that would be one of my my dealer items would be that if you if you're going to bring stuff and make it available to trade or to sell, um have some sort of asking price on it and an asking price is fine. It doesn't, you know, you can negotiate, you can haggle whatever, but just have some sort of price on it because it it really is super annoying when somebody shows you a, a stack of 10 cards and the response is I'm I'm taking offers on them. It's like all right, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, and then on top of that, whatever cards you do decide to bring, both personal collection and uh, trade bait, um, I am still of the, the pen and paper camp. You know, I print stuff off. I write stuff down. I've got my little memo pad over in a box next to me that I've had for like seven or eight nationals. I write stuff down. But again, have some sort of inventory listing, whether it's a hard copy to keep in your back pocket whether it's a digital copy on your phone, um, whether it's easy, quick access to your uh, card letter account that has the current information of all your, your inventory, just have something that you can refer back to um, on the values that you might be looking for. Um, from a, a personal check perspective, after you get done talking to a dealer, we'll talk a little bit more about this just to make sure that you've still got everything. Um, but it is it is a very good kind of item to have some sort of inventory listing, not only to actually know what you have at any given time on the floor, but also in preparing that inventory listing before the show, not the week of the show, before the show, um, to say that, okay, you know, this is what I'm thinking about bringing. It's kind of organized. It, again, it just helps you kind of call back uh, maybe stuff that if you're on the fence about bringing it or like how you want to value things or, or whatever the case might be. So I would, I would strongly recommend that you make just some sort of inventory list regard whatever form it takes is, is cool. But uh, that's something that's very valuable to have once the show gets going hot and heavy, because like you're, if you're talking to a dealer, you're not going to be able to, to like walk away and be like, Hey, can you hold on for a few minutes? I got to go check some stuff. It's like, well, <laughs> no, because there's going to be 10 people waiting behind you to try and like, you know, catch up with the dealer or ask a question. So the more information you can have at your disposal as quickly as possible, that's going to make your show experience much better uh, when working with both dealers and other yeah. attendees alike. Yeah, because you're you're not going to be able to think clearly at the show. No. I don't know how much we can 
state that over and over but like in in the madness like prices and what things are worth and that stuff kind of goes out the window a little bit just because you're so frantic the other point i would make is on the luggage stuff make sure you don't check your bag with your very expensive items if you're going on the plane keep that stuff with you Uh, it's just a lot safer to have it with you and the one question i get asked a lot is like does security give you a, a hard time about having the cards not tsa uh i i never have had an issue with that they'll like pull it out and look at it sometimes but there's not an issue there and same with cash so let's move to cash then or currency uh what are you bringing in in the form of money uh do people take paypal are you bringing all cash do people take bitcoin which is going to be a hot topic this year relative Mm -hmm. to other years what 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 form of currency do you want to bring yeah yeah great question so cash is always number one um you know people are somewhat skittish about bringing cash what it, in large amounts. And, you know, obviously large amounts is relative for everybody. So uh, cash will always get you the best deals if you want to uh, just straight purchase something, if you just want to buy it. Um, I would say that the amount of cash that you bring factors into that comfort level discussion that we just had with your inventory. It's no different. If you are not comfortable knowing that you're going to be around tens of thousands of people, uh, for several days straight with a sum of cash on your person that is going to just make you just basically side-eyeing and looking looking up, down, left, and right instead of just like focusing on having fun the entire time, um, don't bring that much cash. There are uh, several banks within like, again, a 15-minute Uber ride. Uh, there's a Bank of America. There is a Wells Fargo. And I, I usually, I will bring some cash on the plane. And then I will also go to that Wells Fargo um, at some point during the show to make a, another withdrawal if I need to. So I'm not carrying that stuff with me, um, all the cash that I have when I travel. So there's a Bank of America. Those, there's a Wells Fargo. I was talking to somebody else and they mentioned Fifth Third choice. Bank. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure on Chase or is there a Chase? There is a Chase. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's pretty far. It's pretty far though. Okay. So there, there is a Chase option. Uh, somebody on Instagram messaged me if there was a fifth third, there's a fifth third bank. I think there's a couple fifth third branches that are, I mean, super close. So again, there's, it, if you want to try and uh, get cash from a bank that week, uh, that's a very good alternative. Uh, just do the the Google leg work beforehand to see, you know, where they are. And um, depending on how much cash you want to get, you might have to call them ahead of time to be like, I would like to get this amount on this date. Is that possible? Um, so cash is cash is number one. It, it will always, always, always be number one. Um, so kind of the secondary would be PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. You know, m- most guys will take that. Um, some will be more reluctant than others to take PayPal, uh, especially given the, when did the new requirements kick in the $600 level? Is that 2021 or 22? I think it's 2022 actually. It is 2020. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're still good for 2021 in terms of like the, you're not going to get 1099 for 600 bucks, but, um, still people, people are trying to avoid PayPal as much as possible, just with kind of the indiscriminate account shutdowns and suspensions and closings for, you know, no real reason other than there was a flag that was sent up. So, um, you know, th- those will always be options, but uh, they're definitely a, a second tier option. And you should not expect to get the same negotiation leverage if you are sending payment through, uh, especially PayPal. I can't speak to Cash App. And like, I know, Ven- I think Venmo, um, 
I, I know my account has some pretty low, relatively speaking, caps on it. Yeah, exactly. So two grand, if, I think. Yeah, yeah if, if you're looking to use Venmo kind of as your your primary source for moving cash in and out, um, that you're you're going to be kind of hamstrung at least with the with the limits if you're trying to do it in larger larger dollar amounts. And I think I think I, I got an email from. I think it was Venmo about how they're going to be moving to a goods and services classification. Like I think June or July 31st of this year, where they're going to start charging a fee and it's basically going to be a PayPal goods type situation. So again, Mm -hmm. I have not, I have not dug into whatever that email was. I just kind of scanned it, but I would say if, if you're doing a lot of Venmo, that's something else to to look into um, both from accepting Venmo and sending Venmo is just make sure that you understand what those new terms are. So if, you know, if you send a thousand bucks, if you send a thousand bucks to a dealer and they're netting, you know, nine sixty or whatever the case might be, and they're like, "Hey, you're forty dollars short," it doesn't turn into, you know, a, a, a holy war uh, over forty dollars because you, you just forgot that they were making this change. So, um, yeah, those PayPal, Cash App, Venmo definitely options. Um, just know that you won't have the same type of leverage. Crypto, um, crypto will very much be a thing. Um, it definitely will not be as ubiquitous as PayPal or Cash App or Venmo. Um, but I know there's a lot of guys out there who will be, you know, ready to to take some sort of crypto. Um, I can't imagine uh, the majority of crypto guys will be taking Doge or Ascoin or something like that. Um, but I, <laughs> I do assume <laughs> that the standard torchbearers like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, that, that people will be taking the kind of the, the fundamentals. Uh, so that if it is a, a bigger transaction, um, I wouldn't be surprised to hear, you know, a lot of people making making transactions in, in crypto. Um, just again, know, know what you're doing. Make sure that you know how the process works from, from both sides of the transaction before and after if you're, if you're hopping into it. Uh, but that is... Um, it is another great alternative for uh, for people to use if if they want to go that route and if um, if the other party is willing to accept it. So, cash number one, PayPal, Cash App, Venmo number two, crypto, two B, we'll call it. Um, but regardless of what you're bringing, whether it's cash, PayPal, crypto, don't blow your budget in the first hour of the show. I mean, I don't care if your budget's a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. Unless you're 100 percent certain that it is just the steal of the century and it's just staring you right there in the face, and the first case when you walk in and you can flip this thing within an, within an hour to double up your money, or if it's like a if it's a, a penny PMG green equivalent that you never a, a card you've been hunting for for a decade it never shows up it's finally here it's going to cost you every every dollar every dime and every every piece of clothing off your back but you know, this is the one you came for. Don't spend the month. Don't spend all your money. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that just, they, they just get in and they're like Jojo, the, the little circus kid. And they get too worked up and excited and they just start buying everything because they think they can like make deals on it or they've been, they think it's cool or whatever. And then they're like, I only have like 10% of my budget left and it's Wednesday at 6 p.m. It's not a good position to be in because when that happens, then it's kind of like, you know, you, you might have the 20 cards in your PC box, but then, you know, you want more cash for the show. So it's like, all right, maybe do I, do I pull these three out and try and move them? Do I pull these five out and try and move them? 
you know, the, the trade bait that you had, it was, it's a thousand dollar card all day, but it's like, well, damn, you know, I need money. So maybe I just like sell this for 800 and, you know, you, you start kind of like death by a thousand cutting yourself um, in order to get back into a comfortable position um, where you've got money to spend on the showroom floor. So uh, again, there are certain situations where you can just, you can blow out your budget straight from the get go. And if those situations are there, God love you. That's why we, that's why we do this. Um, but I would say that it's, it's important to have a decent bit of self-discipline in that like first 60 to 90 minute stretch when you're on the, when you're on the floor, because everything's going to be fresh. Everything's going to be new showcases won't have holes in them. It's going to, you're going to think that everything that you see is the first time anybody has seen it in the entire show. And that, you know, you're, you're onto something you might be, but there's a good chance you're not too. So just, j just take the deep breath and, and make it through the first hour without spending every dime that you have to your name. Um, and it'll make your week a lot more enjoyable. Is this one for me? Uh, last, the last national I spent all of my money and I owed money. I was like walking around trying to sell my cards in the first 15 minutes. Yeah, you were, so, you were so up on like, Wednesday. You were like triple leveraged by like 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. I was like, what? That was Wednesday. That was Wednesday. <laughs> it was Wednesday. <laughs> I was like begging you for when money. It's, when it's Jordan PMG champs, then, you know, you, you make exceptions. So. All right. Um, okay. Non-cards. So the rest of the things. Um, I'm going to run through a couple of these and I'll let you jump in. Yep. Uh, the, the main one is the portable charger. That one has saved me a, a ton of times because you're the multiple, yeah, multiple portable chargers. It, unless you have like one of the big boys that's got you know an, enough charge to to power like the Eiffel Tower for a month. Um, if you've got if you've got these little things, these little anchor anchor, I can't remember what they're called, but these are great. They're on Amazon. They're like twenty bucks, um, and I've one of these I've owned for like four years, and it still works like a charm. The other one's new, so I these these little guys are great, and just have you know two of them fully charged ready to go. Can't stress that portable chargers is by far the biggest, the biggest one. Cause you're, you, when you get everybody on the showroom floor and everybody's using the cell towers or trying to use the Wi-Fi, like your, your phone is going to grind to a halt. And it's going to There's certain points when like the charger is like keeping my phone at that battery level. It's not even increasing it because it's like, I'm having it's to keep it. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Water bottle and snacks. The, Food around the edges of the show is is not good. Um, it will keep you alive technically if you eat it and drink it, but I would not recommend it. It's going to be expensive. Uh, it's you know it's it's barely ballpark food. I, I bet you know barely. that's being that's being kind. So snacks are good. You know, little bag snacks, chips, whatever, uh, water bottle, and you can bring all that stuff into the show, no problem. So have a backpack potentially ready for that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and if you are if you are flying in or if you just don't have any more room in the car for the the snack stuff when you're driving up, um, there's a Walmart and a Target again, 15 minutes away. So it's if if that's something that you can do, maybe the first night after the show, or if you get in a day before, like it, it just pop over there, grab whatever. You, I do the exact same thing. I I'll get in on Monday. I'll hop over to Walmart, grab grab what I need, and then come back home. Like it's it's super easy. And again, it's it it saves you a lot of headaches when you're when you're on the floor. Yeah, the next thing is uh, a paper list of dealer booths. So you might want to jot down the booths you want to hit or what potentially you're hoping to find at specific booths. Once you get in, it it can be 
a little bit uh, disorienting trying to find everything. So if you at least have the booth numbers next to what you're looking for, you can you can find your way just by having the booth number. There was points when I like lost your booth. Like I couldn't find it because yeah. you guys are like in the middle of the middle of the second, you know, it's like, uh, so, it can be so yeah, so that's a, that's an, that's an important one too. Not only from kind of an, uh, uh, an initial research or, or uh, doing your pre-work before going to the show to be like, Oh, you know, 610 sports cards, booth 478, shameless plug. Um, other other friends you know like i i think rbi crew ryan they're like 150 153 i think kind of in a, a little back alcove garage area that'll doesn't matter they'll have tons of traffic so not only is it important to figure out booths going in if there's certain people that you want to meet or you know certain cards you want to check out when you're on the floor and you're like oh that booth's had some great cards i should come back ask the damn dealer what their booth number is because i can promise you promise you promise you promise you your sense of direction will be like oh yeah it's like four rows down and if it you just it's on the opposite side of the panini booth but if you go to the upper deck booth you've gone too far and yeah. you know i kind of remember one of the guys had like a, a lebron refractor rookie or something like that so it's around there that you <laughs> you're not gonna find what you're looking for if you don't write down a booth number of the, the dealer where you found something you like. So not only write the booth numbers down ahead of time, but just it's, it's good. It's just a, a good habit to have when you see a booth that's, you know, got great cards or something specific, specific that you're looking for a, a dealer that you like talking to, whatever, just ask them their booth number and the booth number, each dealer will have like a small little placard with their, their name on it um, on the front of one of the tables. And I think the booth number is written in very small numbers in the bottom corner of that placard as well, but it's, it's just easiest to ask. Like if, if a dealer doesn't know their booth number, they're idiots. We have bigger problems. Yes. All right. Uh, backpack. I'm a big backpack guy. I know all the guys have the rolly bags. I think both are fine. Uh, just like we plan, I talked about earlier is planning how much stuff you're going to have. Cause you're going to be lugging it around on your, on your shoulders all day. And it can be, it can get tiring. Um, card supplies if you so the and the one thing on the bags too if you do bring a roller bag again i think that there's going to be so much foot traffic it's it happens all the time in general like your roller bag behind you is going to be bumping into people like people are going to be kicking it it's going to get annoying and people are going to get annoyed with like running into it so if, if you have a roller bag i would almost i would almost recommend instead of like a computer roller bag that you drag behind you like get a small suitcase that has wheels that you can push in front of you and that will allow you to navigate that bag through the crowd. And like people aren't just constantly knocking you around behind you because it, again, these, these aisles, these aisles are not wide. Like they are not wide at all. Once you get on the showroom floor and once people fill in uh, the, the more you can do to just kind of like stay in your own lane and be in control of as much as you can control. It's, it's going to, it's going to help. And I've seen pe like people really love those big, pelican suitcase right now that's very uh hot thing but man lugging that around i just every time i see someone lugging that around i think that looks like it's gonna you know really suck after a couple hours yeah i, I think you're i think your 25 cards uh will be okay in something that doesn't have like a, a class five fire rating and is not waterproof it's not waterproof to six thousand meters yeah hey Unless look at that bgs boxes like it's <laughs> It's that easy. Yeah, because I, I try to bring one or two of those, put them in my backpack. That's all you need. And if you have two of those, you can separate PC and inventory. All right, card supplies. The card supplies yes. at the show are incredibly expensive. And they know that because you're there. You know, it's easier 
you can just buy them, but make sure you bring your own top loaders, penny sleeves, team bags. At the last Dallas show, I did not, and I spent like fifteen dollars on penny sleeves, and it's like, what? Well, and not only are they the supplies expensive because they one hundred percent are, but like there's, I think out of all those booths, there's like two guys that sell supplies, like two, two, two booths that actually sell everything you need. So at least if you're a card collector, if you're a memorabilia guy, there's a lot more options. Um, but if, if you're looking for the, the basics, the penny sleeves, the top loaders, the one touches, whatever, not only are you going to pay more, but it is going to be a pain in the ass if you're at my booth. And I'm pretty sure I know where one of the guys sets up and he's on the other side of the hall. So if you find, you know, if you find a card in a dollar box or whatever, that's a, a cool card and you need to go buy a, a one touch for it, like you're just going to have to walk all the way across the showroom floor. And again, I know you, these aren't the, these aren't really that big of an problems or issues, but it's just something else that you're going to have to do. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, crap. Okay. I'll be basically, I'll be back and you have to stop what you're doing, leave whatever you're doing, go do that and then come back. So just the, the more that you can bring, whether it's, and it doesn't have to be an entire uh, backpacks worth of supplies either. Just Josh, like you said, some different size penny sleeves, right. some different size one touches or uh, top loaders, a few one touches, you know, a, a few team bags. Like I, I put, I put all of that stuff in like this gallon plastic bag and squish it down and you're ready to go. That's all. That's really all you need. And final reminder, deodorant. I've actually put deodorant in my backpack to walk around the show because by the end of the show, you're just, you know, you're everybody's right. Before. Everybody's real right. Yeah. Right. A lot of dude. A lot of dude. All right. Let's move on to our favorite topic, show etiquette. This one, <laughs> uh, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of people are talking about this content necessarily around the show, but we feel it's important. So we'll, let's jump into it. Um, let's talk about dealers. Yep. Um, so like the show etiquette around you as a buyer going up to a dealer, how you treat the dealer. Why don't you jump into that, especially from your perspective as the dealer? How, how do you want to be treated? Yeah, you got it. Um, so it, it, it kind of boils down to, and this is for all of us. I don't care if it's me as a dealer, me as a, a, a buyer, um, or anybody who's watching this. It's You are going to have your expectation of how things should go, and then you are going to have experienced the reality of how those things actually go on the floor. Um, oftentimes those two things, they, they match up, they mirror up, you know, the, the main thing is don't be an ass. I, again, I know this is, this is not hard advice or like, I'm, I'm not offering some trenchant insight into humanity and human interactions, but it's just, just don't be, don't be a jerk. So I guess from a, a dealer perspective, you know, we kind of mentioned it before when we were talking about uh, what to bring and splitting up personal collection versus non-personal collection stuff. But if a dealer has cards behind the case and they've got price tags on them and, or they don't have price tags on them, me, but whatever price they want on their cards, that's their right. They can ask those prices. You know, you might think that those prices are, are over eBay. They're too high. They, they very well might be. And oftentimes, I mean, a lot of times they will be. Um, but again, dealers have the, the right to price that stuff the way that they want to. And again, conversely, you have the, the right to price your stuff the way that you want to. So, um, I think it's, it's important for both dealer and, uh, attendee to just have that mutual respect for one another and know that, um, if, if there's a number that maybe one or the other, one party doesn't necessarily agree with you, you can ask, you know, are you flexible on, on that or, 
are you open to offers or can we work on that? That's cool. That's part of the process. But um, don't let an overpriced card ruin your entire afternoon. Like I've seen people spiral so fast over something being like 110% of eBay. And I'm like, what in the hell is wrong with you, dude? It's who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So just, just kind of respect that decision-making process. And and that goes for, for both sides of the table. Um, I will add that again, there is the built-in and this goes for attendees as well, but there is, there are, additional costs for dealers to set up a booth. Like a booth at the National is not free. There is the cost of the booth itself. There's the cost of uh, renting display cases. There's the cost of transportation, which is also for attendees. Uh, There's the cost of food, beverage, hotel, whatever it is. Again, a lot of these are are shared and similar costs between both dealers and attendees. But just, just know that some dealers and a lot of dealers will price things accordingly to try and help recover some of that cost. Um, and kind of the, you know, the, the counter that I would make when somebody says, well, attendees incur those costs too. It's like, well, that that's true. But I think that the benefit that you have as an attendee and the a justification for, for charging a bit of a premium for dealers is that you can see these cards in person. You know, if, if a card sells for a thousand bucks on eBay, a dealer wants 1100 for it and obviously you know it's your normal it's your normal vfw hall show if something sells for a thousand on ebay it's priced at a thousand you can talk them down to 900 whatever the case might be for off ebay fees but like the ability to see a card in person and be able to make that judgment call like that that that's worth something so again just if something if something isn't priced the way you want it to be priced ask the other person if if they can do something with it and if they can't um you know, it is what it is. It's, it's no big deal. Um, the next point that I would make is that if you're not comfortable from a situation and this is going to, we've already talked about it and we're going to continue to talk about it, but if you're not comfortable with a situation, walk away from it. Um, whether that situation is the way that a dealer is talking to you, um, if you are a dealer, whether it's the way a somebody who come, walks up to your booth is talking to you, if you are not happy with the way that somebody is handling your cards or looking through your cards when you're trying to work on a deal, um, if you just feel you're not getting the same level of respect from the other party that, that you should be getting. And again, when I say respect, it's not like so this, this jerk won't lower his prices. It's a matter of like, he's just, he's talking down to me or he's just, he's just being, being awful. Like you're well within your right to, to walk away because you know, regardless of the situation or who's on what side of the table, it's, you know, respect should not be something that's sacrificed during the course of a a negotiation or a a talk. So um, that would be my main thing, again, uh, like we've already talked about and we'll continue to talk about is that if if a situation seems off or you're not comfortable, walk away from that situation. You you do not lose a single thing by walking away from a situation that you're uncomfortable in. And if you start to make concessions to try and make the other person comfortable and you ultimately do end up making some sort of deal, you will be much more upset with yourself that you kind of you you bent the knee, so to speak, to accommodate the other person instead of just, you know, giving the guy the, the finger internally and being like, yeah, I'm out. So again, respect should never be sacrificed regardless of what side of the table you're on. And then I would say that the last bit of uh, the last dealer tidbit I would have, and I, I shared this one in 2019, and I shared every time I talked to somebody about being a dealer, um, 
do not try and scoop a sale from a dealer until the dealer is done with that particular person or that transaction. And what I mean by that is dealings that take place on the internet, whether it's in a Facebook post, an Instagram post, whatever the case might be, somebody will post something for a thousand bucks and you'll immediately have people that hop into the comments and be like, oh, hit me up, hit me up, hit me up. Um, and that just doesn't, that doesn't fly at a show, at a show in person with, with the dealer, you know, the common etiquette for dealers, and it should be this way online too, it just doesn't happen. But like the common etiquette with, with dealers and, and, and sellers should be that if a dealer and a seller are working on a possible trade or uh, a purchase that don't try and jump into the middle of their negotiation and start like offering to buy or grab the cards at the value that one or the other, that the, the seller is, is throwing off to the dealer. Like let them, let them get through whatever they need to get through first, whether it's they actually do a deal for everything, they do a partial deal or whatever. Do not just jump in in the middle of a conversation and be like, oh, if he doesn't take that at the thousand bucks, I will. Like that just... This is a lot of guys doing it. And then if he doesn't take it, I'll take it. Yes, exactly. And then it's like, it's the Facebook thing. It's like, oh, wow, fourth in line, fifth in line, sixth in line. It's like, just just don't do that in person. You know, let let the dealer, let the seller or the trader or whatever they're doing, let them finish up. And then once they're done, once the dealer moves on, you know, grab the person and be like, hey, those three or four cards, I'm interested in those. You want to go somewhere and talk. Totally fine. But just again, don't don't undercut dealers in the middle of in the middle of talks because uh speaking from personal experience uh that is a very bad idea personal experience i'm the one that screwed up now i was not the dealer i was the i was the ding dong who was like who was sidling in and being like oh that's cool right. I'll take yeah don't do don't especially do. when it's especially when it's a good deal and you're just like waiting for the right moment right and, um, you know you're, you're biting your tongue you're like oh please pass please pass please pass please pass <laughs> and if he does great there you go right place right time and, and you got a you got a nice buy but um yeah if just just don't jump in the middle of a a, a dealer and seller interaction and until they're done yeah all right i'll hit the attendee side on the etiquette yep. um and these are more just like advice pieces than than technical etiquette because i think you covered a lot of that already uh the main one for me as an attendee, especially my first show, you and I talked about this a lot. It's like, it's very intimidating as the attendee to, you know, kind of be the one that, that has lesser power in the instance. Like the person behind the booth has sort of the upper hand in a lot of cases that you've already described. And so, and given that like the whole show is very chaotic, you know, you're trying to keep up with everything. If you see something you like at a dealer table and you're not quite sure how much you want to pay or you're not ready. Uh, you don't have to just like jump in and start negotiating right away. You can kind of sit back, watch the dealer work, see what type of, uh, you know, back and forth or etiquette they have as an individual. And then, you know, you can simply ask, what's the price on that? Start from there. And then you can just always step back, take some time to yourself, go figure out, uh, you know, if this is the right price for you, if you need to think about it, if you need to go research the price some more, you don't have to sit there and like do things right away and make an immediate decision. Some dealers will like be pretty pushy about it and like try to get you to do the deal faster because they know that that's going to be beneficial to them, but you don't have to do it that way. You can always step away. Um, just, you know, even at, even right at the table, you could just like stand there and just say, I need a minute. I'm just going to keep browsing. Thanks. And then, you know, some other, uh, some other attendee will usually jump in and take the dealer's attention away. So you'll always have kind of a moment to kind of get away from it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the the other point that that I'll make, and 
uh, for both dealers and um, attendees it, is that both sides of the table, just, just, just be patient. There's going to be so much going on. Um, there's going to be so many people around. Uh, you, you'll learn this very quickly that if, if there's two or three people gathered around a booth and, you know, they're like kind of elbowing each other and be like, and, you know, pointing and stuff like that, it is, it always blows my mind how quickly that two or three person group turns into like 10 or 15 or 20. And it's just all of a sudden it's everybody crowded around, like, you know, phones hanging over the top or like everybody's just looking at stuff and talking about prices or inventory or, or whatever. So if, when situations like that happen, you know, whether you're trying to get the attention of a dealer or they're just, they're not getting around to you or like dealers are dealers want to sell stuff like dealers are there to sell stuff to buy stuff and to to make deals so they can continue to to be dealers um so i i would say in some hand up some dealers are much better about handling the crowds and the rotations than others so um i would say that it's just important to be patient uh on on both sides um and if if a dealer just never gets to you or like is rude to you then again just just leave to hell with them. That's fine. That's that's not that's not cool. But I patience, patience will go a long way uh, during your entire national stay. Yeah, there's another uh, tidbit that I remember now that comes up a lot for me personally. If you because like so, there's not a lot of space like we've discussed, and you're literally going to be like talking to people in the aisles with people moving around you. And if you're trying to do a deal. Uh, that doesn't involve a dealer and it's like you between you and another attendee uh one issue that comes up a lot is like where do you put your stuff when you're making this deal yes don't just put it on the glass case you know the the display cases of dealers because they're you're covering up their inventory like this is their space so you can ask the dealer but in general try to find some other space there's like little kind of corner tables next Mm -hmm. to some booths that you can do stuff like that but you know don't just plop out all your cards on the on their glass and you know have them like get pissed off at you so obviously if no, it's someone you know a dealer you know like ask them but that, that, yeah, that, no, that, that that's a really that's a really good one yeah that's a really good one and again it's it's just have have some sense of like situational awareness so if it's if it's wednesday at 7 15 and the, the show's pretty dead um because you know it's it's the first day it's technically the sneak peek and that that happens and like there's no there's nobody at a, a dealer's booth like you know it's cool. Just ask the, ask the dealer, be like, Hey, do you mind if I just set this stuff over in this very small corner or something real quick? And I mean, for the most part, if, especially if you were talking to them about cards before, they'll be like, yeah, that's fine. It, it's just like you said, Josh, when, if it's, if it's Saturday at 1030 in the morning and there's 30 people huddled around a booth and you're trying to, you're trying to scoop the deal that the dealer just passed on that we just talked about. So you, you grab the guy or you, you tap the guy on the shoulder. And you're like, Hey, you want to take a look at my stuff real quick? That doesn't mean set stuff, set your stuff on the booth immediately, because now not only is it your stuff, it's old guy stuff too. So now you could be taking up, you know, blocking like a couple cases worth of worth of stuff. So again, just just use common sense. You know, if, if it's if it's slow and you were just talking to the dealer and somebody comes up and they're like, hey, I like that, just, just ask the dealer. Like it's it's cool. Most most will probably be, well, I won't say most. But it's it's an option, and then if the dealer's like, I'd, I'd rather you not. It's like, okay, that's cool. Then you can just go, like Josh said, find a find a corner or find a, a table or out in the lobby, something like that. Or on the floor, like literally, sit Indian style on the floor and figure out that that happens as well. Especially if you're 
tired. It's not a bad option. All right, let's move into, I'm going to call it show fatigue. You wrote frustrations. I call it fatigue. There's just like so many things that pop up through the show where you're, you start to get, uh, you know, worn down over things, whether that's like physically you're tired from moving around or you can't find what you're looking for. People have been rude to you. Um, you know, you're not, you're not finding the cards you want. There's all these different things that keep coming up. What's like some, what are some things that you do maybe as a dealer or as an attendee that, that you can kind of pause and re- reset during the show? Cause it is a long, it is a few days, right? We've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is a five time. day show. So yeah. you need Look, to, you need to pace time. yourself. Yeah. And not to, not to, uh, hijack your own show, but did you want to talk about content creators real quick in terms of show etiquette? Yes. We skipped content creators. Yes, because and, and this is con, con it's, part frustrations. it's part of frustration. Uh, yes, no, that actually that's a perfect segue into, into show frustrations. Um, all right. So the biggest difference this year, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, ignoring the obvious of, you know, sports cards or just this sports cards are more popular than they've ever been before by like an exponential factor. Obviously, So that's going to that's going to play an impact. But as part of that. I think the the biggest difference that we're going to see this year is content creation. Um, That content creation is going to take the form of, you know, local news. There might be some regional news affiliates there. Um, There might be newspaper folks there. Uh, There will be, uh, you know, legitimate, I'll, I'll use legitimate and I, I actually mean this legitimate content creators, such as, you know, whether it's Sasha, whether it's Ryan card collector Two, whether it's card ladder, um, there will be other content creators that will be there that I would use the legitimate word on as well, but they are a different breed of live content creators. Um, and then there will be people who will be there under the guise of content creation, but they're just morons with their iPhones and they're just sticking their iPhone right in your face or like jump jamming it in your booth or like trying to ask you questions or videotape God knows what. Okay. So me personally, I recognize the value of content creation. It is, it is incredibly important to extending the hobby showing what these shows are all about, showing, you know, how they work, um, what they mean, uh, what there is to do, not only for the people that the other hobbyists who just don't attend, but people who, you know, might be on the fringe of the hobby, or they're, they're trying to learn more about what sports cards is. And obviously talking about the national and learning about the national is, is a, a big part of understanding what, what this hobby is all about, because it's, it's our biggest event of the year. Um, Practice patience. Uh, I would say that the main thing for both creators and subject matter experts alike would be ask the person that you want to talk to or that you want to film their booth or that you're going to film around their booth. Is this cool? Are you okay with this? Because not everybody is okay with being on camera. I am currently on camera talking to you. I am almost seven feet tall. I do not have a choice in the matter oftentimes when it comes to being, if there's a camera around me, it's probably going to pick me up. Um, I also enjoy this part of this to, to a degree. 
So, you know, if, if you want to come up and talk or talk values or ask questions or whatever, I, I'm probably going to be cool with that. But just know that there are going to be people that are not okay with that. And I would stress that not only is it a matter of asking if it's okay to, to film around there or film their stuff or film them trying to conduct a deal with somebody else. I'll, oh God, I'm ranting. The one thing I don't want is that if I am talking about a deal with somebody else and it's a big deal and there's cards and or cash on the table, if you are recording me dealing with somebody else, I will shut the deal down and I will just like ask you to stop filming because I think that is an incredible invasion of privacy. Um, I, you know, it, it's not something that I want to participate in. I am not a fan of the cameras huddled around when other people are trying to conduct business. Again, that's me. That hand up. That's me. Other people, wine and dine them, 69 them. They're all for it. They love it. They love the, they love the spotlight. Uh, they love the, the hashtag stacks of cash or whatever it is that, that is going on these days. Cool. Fine. That's not me. So again, not only is it, is it important to ask permission, but I would say it's also important and relevant or not relevant, but you need to be ready to answer some follow-up questions. So if somebody comes up and they're like, do you mind if I film? It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. No sweat. What do you want to film? What are you doing? Like what, are you are you just taking pictures of my stuff like do you want to talk do you want to film it are you trying to get b-roll of like dealers just mm -hmm. talking with other patrons just like just just let me know provide what information you can about the purpose of the filming and most likely i'm going to be cool with it and it will be it will not be the same for everybody everybody has their their varying degrees of kind of privacy so to speak that, that they would like to wall wall off but um, the, the main thing for me is just ask permission. Like that, that's all, if there's one takeaway from this, all my hashtag content creators out there, just please, before you start filming, um, just, just make sure that the general targets area or whatever, I'm not saying you have to go around and like get every attendee to sign a waiver. You're going to be on camera. You're going to be on camera. Nothing crazy like that. Just if there's a specific person you're talking to or a specific booth you want to film, just ask somebody that looks like it's their stuff if it's cool to to film. That's it. That's all I ask. Yeah. Jeez, this that is was that was a long rant. I'm sorry. The filming that. stuff, the filming content isn't necessarily new. Like there was definitely some of that in, in past years, but the content now is more deal based. Like people are trying to get in on the capturing the content of like this big deal or trade going down. And so you get a lot of like forced filming to try to create these deals or to try to like build anticipation towards it. And you just like, there's so many instances I saw where, you know, there's a camera person following an individual around attempting to make a deal. And so they, yeah. they have to, in order to capture every second of it, they basically have to start filming before. So it's more organic, but then the dealer is like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm you don't even know if I'm going to make a deal with you. Why are we doing this? So that that's the new introduction of, of awkwardness that, that's been introduced. That, that and you got to get you past that. That's helpful because that shows you the extent of how much I know about how this actually works. So again, old, old man up in the clouds is already screaming into the void about something that uh, may or may not actually be a thing. Um, That's going to be. But a thing. I think it, I think it still does hold true. Like if if you if you got a camera and you're going up to a booth, just it, and you know you you want to start doing something, just just ask. Because my my thing is that I think it it's not 
you're absolutely right. There have been people have filmed stuff at shows before. I just think the the sheer quantity of of filming and the amount of content that is going to be shared, whether it's you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, TikTok, Snapface, I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. It's just it's just gonna be by volume this year, so much more given where we're at. So yeah, um, yeah just just be mindful that. Just because you're cool with filming something as the person filming it doesn't mean that your subject matter or your person that you're filming is cool with it to the same degree that you are. So just just ask. Yeah. Well, this is frustration bullet point number one then. Uh, I mean, that was pretty much the theme of the last Dallas show. You can't see it. The last Dallas show that I went to, the theme of it. And uh, Lameem James always likes to keep a a heartbeat on like the, this side of things is like, that was the theme of Dallas for most people was like seeing all the camera crews and like people had like the light fixtures and everything, like the whole nine. So that's going to be a big part of national, I think as well. So if we're going to be looking good, for things pissing us off, that, that might be number one. So we just got to be, well, it's, a, it's a good thing. My booth isn't 10 feet away from Investacard. So I guess I'm, I guess I'll be, I'll be secure. I'll be insulated from content creation. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> was that your good luck with that yeah yeah i mean you said it already you're you're 610 so i mean like people are going to be filming up to the ceiling and you'll your your head will be in there yeah maybe i'll maybe it'll just be a lot of like chris chris bosh photo bombs of like just coming up from from underneath <laughs> picking my head up into into people's frame um okay so Let's so, just yeah, jump that's straight. Frustration number one, and it's something. It's a frustration I haven't even experienced yet uh, at the show. So now we can talk about ones that I actually have experienced and that you've experienced as well. Um, well we kind of we listed some of them off. So why don't you jump into like some of your yeah pieces of advice and like the pacing yourself kind of mindset? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the so the first one that that I wrote down is um, you can't find what you're looking for. Um, this this is very real because I know that I, I can't tell you I'm in, and we talked about this a little bit on our a couple of years ago but I can't tell you just the amount of like excitement and adrenaline when you're walking through the national doors for like the the first day of your show or I mean every single day for that matter but especially the first day it's like it's like this is it all year like we're we're back and especially this year too uh, you you walk in and you're I mean you are just you're on cloud nine just flying high. You make those first laps, like you you run to see some of the dealers that you know, or like you've you've done your pre-work and like you've identified some dealers that have had nice deals in the past and you go to their booth. Um, you know, you make your first lap or two and you get you get done and like you're an hour and a half, two hours into it, and you you find yourself back at at the entrance again and you're like, well shit. That uh I didn't find anything like you. I've literally told myself before to national, I didn't find anything within like that first couple hours because you, I, there's, there's just, again, expectation versus reality. You expect just this ocean of steels or something to open up to you. Or like, I've got 10 items on my white whale list and I have found eight within the first 60 minutes of the show. It's like, that doesn't happen. So it's, it's just kind of important to, not only manage those expectations going in, but um, if you find yourself just getting down because like all the cases look familiar 
or you're just not finding what you're looking for. Like you brought, you brought some cards that you were prioritized to try and sell or trade and you've like moved one out of 10 or one out of 20 and you're, you know, you're, you're just not, you're not in a good, a show groove. Like don't, don't, or if, if any, if the show's just too crowded, you know, if, if you're just sick of being next to people um, and making the same kind of like mindless laps and bumping into the same uh, type of folk, so to speak, uh, that you have been running into for the past three or four days, um, take a break, like tap yourself out. You know, there, there's so much to do at the national beyond just keeping your head down, um, and mindlessly wandering from case to case, booth to booth, not saying anything to anyone, like, you know, go look at the auction house stuff, go look at what heritage has got. They've always got all kinds of amazing game worn memorabilia of like Ruth and Ted Williams bats and MJ jerseys and all the, all the cards that like you'll see on these major auction houses or jerseys or shoes or whatever. Like you can look at that stuff in person. It's, it's great. It's cool. You don't get, and you can take pictures of it too. So like, go, go look at the stuff that that the big auction houses have um, out on display, you know, shoot a message to some friends, be like, Hey, what are y'all, you know, what are y'all up to right now? I've, I've made some laps uh, by myself, you know, looking for some stuff kind of done with that. You know, y'all, do you want to meet up? You want to meet up at, uh, at Panini or something like that and just go wander around together. Like I can't, I can't tell you how much clarity you get from uh, or clarity that you get over the showroom floor when you're not looking at the showroom floor, if that makes yeah. any sense at all. Like when you're yeah. not, when you're able to remove yourself from that, like hyper focus of cards, 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 deals, 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 flips, flips, flips. And you can break away and just take a, a different perspective on the show, regardless of what that perspective might be or, or how you accomplish that. When you, when you come back to, you know, honing back in or, or refocusing again on the cards, it's like, oh, okay, nice. This guy has new inventory out or um, th- this person, this person sold something that is a comp of mine and they had this sticker price on it. So like, that's, you know, that's information for you. That's, that's good. That's helpful. So again, just, we all lose sight for one reason of a, one reason or another during the course of, of the week on like, what's going on with the show and things, you know, aren't going our way, quote unquote. So when you start to feel that happening, or if you feel like you're getting down on the show, just, you know, just, just reset, just recalibrate. Cause there's, there's so much, there's so much stuff to do and there's so many different ways to do it. Um, that, that being able to recognize when you're getting down on yourself, kind of pull it out a little, pull yourself out a little bit. Um, it, it goes a long, long way with being able to refocus whenever you're ready to just start like looking for cards again, or, um, you know, just re-engaging basically with some of your, you know, whatever your, your early goals were for, uh, for the show. Yeah. This is always the number one thing I've learned over the years of, of national is like, you know, my first one, you, I have my set amount of cash. You know, we, we've gone through all the pieces that, that all the advice we've given you, you get the cash, you've got your booth numbers written down, you've got your plan, you've got your inventory separated from your PC, you've got all this sort of card stuff figured out. And then you get there and you're, the reality is, you know, you're not going to be able to, fu- to spend that 10,000 that you brought perfectly and, you know, flip all that into 20 grand. You're not going to be able to trade all the pieces you wanted to trade and find the perfect one. And you're not going to have it all spaced out perfectly over the five days where it all just lines up. There's going to be a ton of gap of like 
things aren't going my way or I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the, the card thing. And you got to start planning for all the other stuff, like the pressure to make a, a deal every second, especially with what you see on content is like uh, the content yes. you see is these massive deals. Yes. So you're, you're, you're pressured to like, Oh, I've got to make, I've got to spend all my money. I've got to make three sweet trades or this thing is a whole bust. I would just not go into the show with that expectation at all because you're going to be most likely disappointed. If you go into it with the expectation of doing some of these other things you're listing and we have them all written down, walking the showroom floor, sharing things with your friends, and you've touched on all these, hitting the vendor booths. If you leave the show having done all of those things, you're going to be way more satisfied. And then the deals that you make are kind of the cherry on top. You know, like, oh, I, I ended up also getting this sweet trade, uh, something I didn't expect because you can't plan for those things. What you can plan for is who you're meeting there what you know trade nights you attend what booths you you go see that you know are going to be there so it's really like you said the whole this whole thing comes down to expectation and reality for me yep agreed and and one of the things that we've kind of we we tangentially touched on it but you know we we both got it in in bold on our uh our bullet points here is the main thing that comes out of the nationals is meeting people. Like you get to meet the people that you only know as like an Instagram avatar. Like you, a lot of us have never seen pictures of each other in our entire lives. So whether it's firing up an Instagram group chat or like just DMing one person specifically and be like, Hey man, we've, we've done like 12 deals over the past eight months. Do you want to just like catch up at a booth and walk around for a few minutes? It's like, that's the stuff that, that really, really matters. Cause there, there's so many relationships that that start online, as weird as that sounds. But then once you actually get a chance to to meet folks in person and spend time with people, it it just it just goes so much farther in terms of not only enhancing your overall experience for that week, but just whether it's subsequent deals, subsequent shows. Um, I mean, hell, going like to spend spend time with the person's family or whatever, or, or meeting up for a weekend or a day to, excuse me, to have dinner or drinks or golf or whatever the case might be. It's like the the relationships are so much more important than the the cardboard that kind of acts as the the foundation or the jumping off point for those relationships. So that it, we can't stress that enough. It's like, and especially too, if this is something that's out of your comfort zone. Um, get out of your comfort zone. Like I, there's just no other way, no other way to put it. Like if, if, if you're an introvert behind a computer and I get it, there's a lot of us again, hand, hand up myself included to a degree. It's like make yourself or force yourself to get out and meet some of these people that you like, that you look forward to talking to online, you know, every single day, whether it's sharing stupid memes or making fun of Ben Simmons, rest in peace, or just whatever the case might be. It's like, okay, why don't do it in person? Yeah, do it in person. It's like, hey, did you see the latest Lameme post? It's like, yeah, that was hilarious. It was the 99th Ben Simmons meme that, you know, I'm kind of getting tired of, but that's just me. But again, ha have these conversations that you would have online in person. Use that opportunity to have these same BS and around conversations in person. And I, I guarantee you, you will be so much better off for it for any number of different reasons that week and down the road. Yep. Yeah. And I try to spend a lot of my time planning around that stuff because it could be to where there's just so much going on. So many people that you're having trouble figuring out, you know, where do I want to spend the most time? So trying to pre-plan as much as you can, you know, you obviously want sort of the impromptu meetups. It's a little bit more organic and fun, but like 
things like trade nights or dinners after the show. I think it's important to plan those going into it. Uh, I know you and I are big on that. We're trying to plan that out months in advance of like, oh, Thursday night we're doing X, Friday night we're doing the casino, Saturday night we're doing dinner with XYZ people. Having mm -hmm. those planned out as well is, uh, is a big help, especially because at the show, the end of the nights, you know how this goes. Everyone's all crowded around a booth. It's like, where are we going? Where are we going? And then no one can decide and nothing ends up happening and you're, you're sort of like stuck trying to figure it out. So having those planned is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Um, and the, the one thing that I'll mention as well um, with, with regard to the trade nights is that uh, a, a lot of the trade nights will be unplanned. Like if, if we've learned anything from what we've seen from like Dallas or Miami or, or Dells or whatever, it's just people go back to the hotel and just, you know, much to the chagrin of hotel staff, just like completely <laughs> take lobby. over the lobby. <laughs> I mean, the lobbies of these hotels turn into impromptu card shows. So what are the, the hotels that are closest to the convention center? There's the Hyatt that's right next door. There's the Doubletree across the street. I think there's a Holiday Inn right across the street. And there's a few others, but the I guarantee you every single night there will be people and you'll see it, you'll see it across all the socials where they're just sitting in a hotel lobby um, doing the exact same thing that they were just doing for the past eight hours in a convention center. And Josh, you made this point in when we were talking before we started the show is not only are these just additional chances for you to, to meet people you haven't met before, but it's also a much more informal environment like it's it's not necessarily the the big bad dealer behind the booth behind the table right. and the one-on-one -on -one kind of thing make, yeah. yeah exactly you're trying to you're trying to work to them like th this is people with cases with cards it's like showing stuff off talking about whatever um if you get a deal done great um if you don't also great but but there's uh, people make trades and deals all the time it, it, just in these hotel lobby trade nights so i 100% guarantee you that this will be a thing and this will happen. And while it's not necessarily formal, like you said, there's not really any planning that goes into it. All you got to do is fire up Instagram at like 7, 8 p.m. every single night. And I'm sure you will see at least a dozen people you follow, like videos of, of people congregated in some hotel room. So grab a small box, grab a book bag, whatever, walk over there for 30 minutes, an hour, uh, whatever, whatever you want to do, and you'll be better off for it, like we said. Yes. Um, all right. That was my favorite topic. My least favorite topic is theft. Yeah. Um, there is theft at every national that's going to happen. And we obviously want as little of it as possible. What can we do to prevent it as individuals? Cause we can't, we can't stop it from happening at all, but we as individuals can protect ourselves best we can. If, and if everyone does that, uh, you know, it'll, it'll reduce it as much as possible. So, what are some really easy ways to stop it as an individual? Yeah, um, I guess the, the first thing that I'll say is uh, the the dealer listserv, so to speak. We got an email from uh, from NSCC just about specifically about security, and they have they have acknowledged that they will be significantly increasing security. I don't know what significant means, but in terms of the amount of security that they've had in prior years versus this year, they said it's going to be. Um, uniformed officers, plainclothes officers, um, you know, private contractor type security. Uh, so there will be a much more significant um, law enforcement and security presence at this show than I think we've ever uh, seen before in a national. So that's, that's great. 
That's great. Yes, exactly. And I think that's worth worth mentioning just from the from the get go. Uh, obviously, with that being said, you're absolutely right. There will be some sort of theft, some degree of theft. There, there always is. Um, there are tons of eyes. There's tons of hands. There's tons of moving parts um, all day, every day. Uh, so I, there's a few things that, that we always talk about. And again, most of this is common sense, but in the, the heat of the moment, like we've talked about, you lose sight of common sense or it, it takes a, a, a much lesser priority than it, it might be in a, a different circumstance. So the, the first thing is just, just have that degree of self-awareness and mindfulness when you are starting to take, like starting to show cards off to whether it's, uh, on, in a one-on-one -on -one situation, if it's in a group situation, if it's with a dealer and nobody's around, if it's in a, with a dealer and other people around, like the, the thing that always makes me nervous. And I mean, it still does to this day is like when you're, when you're working with a dealer um, and you've got a stack of 20 cards and the dealer starts making like piles to try and prioritize things or whatever the case mm -hmm. might be, or you, you know, you might start doing that too. You're like, ah, I don't know about this one, but maybe this one. And you know, you've got three or four stacks of your cards and they're just kind of they just start to spread out. And again, when, when things are happening, things attract a crowd. So just understand like, you know, when it, when is a crowd starting to build? Like, what am, what am I dealing with here? Are these, are these lower end cards? Like, are these super high end cards? Like what, what, what are the stakes basically? What are, what, what's in play right now that I could, I could potentially lose. So again, just, just try and be as mindful and, and self-aware as you can, when you do start to, to move and shake with, with that inventory out in just like a kind of a public place, so to speak. Um, I, I would say that when you're carrying things around, like from, from the book bag perspective, you, you don't necessarily have to like carry the book bag on the front, like hugging it right. as hard as possible the entire time. And just like, you know, eyes straight forward. Um, but, but again, if, if you want to rock the backpack in the front, or if you want to put a, a lock on your bag, like go for it. It's, it's all about whatever you're comfortable with. So if there's little steps that you can take and that you think of ahead of time to help you get more comfortable and ultimately mitigate risk, go for it, do it. Um, the next thing I would say, and we've touched on it a bit with the, the inventory list, but it, it's worth repeating because this is a, an important function that an inventory list can serve. And that's to say, you know, you, you just, some guy just went through a box of 30 of your cards, like we were talking about, and you either, maybe you sold one of them or two or zero. So when, when you're done, you know, step aside. And if a dealer, if a dealer gets pissed off about this, then that dealer is a dick, but basically step aside with whatever those cards were and just take a few seconds to flip through them. Or like, if you want to refer to, to your inventory list of, if there were maybe like, you know, of the 20, there are four or five higher dollar ones that you just want to check and make sure you have, like, you don't have to meticulously go through and be like, okay, item one, a double three. Okay. Right. Check one, number two. Like you don't have to do that, but it, it's just good kind of standard operating procedure, good habits that you can form to be able to, to take things aside and quickly just look through your box and be like, okay, yeah, this, this looks right. Um, because right. I can, there, there's no worse feeling than getting back to a booth and being like, Oh God. Oh God, where, you know, where is this one or these two or whatever. So always be ready and, and understand that you can, you can reference your inventory uh, against whatever list that, that you brought, that you brought. You, you might, you might think that you're like offending the dealer by no, having just no. completed something with them being like, 
did you take anything, you know, do I still have it? No, like as, as an individual, I can tell you every time I leave any booth and my cards have come out and I put them back in, I'm looking through, like you said, making sure. And I think everyone's aware, like, no, it's not, you're not trying to offend me that you think I stole it or something. It's just, that's just your part of your checklist kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's not accusatory at all. Like you're, you're absolutely right. Whether it's, you know, a, somebody coming up to, or the, the person who's come up to the booth asking the dealer or, or whatever, like I, people ask me all the time. It's like, Hey, did you, did you see that like LeBron or something like that? And it, it's, it's no big deal. Um, you know, cause things will just get like, they'll be yeah. underneath the bag or a box or, um, a, an inventory list or just stuff happens all the time. There's so many moving parts. So throughout the day. Um, so, so just ask, yeah, it's, it, again, if a dealer takes offense to like, just asking like, Hey, did you see this one? Like the dealers are mass. Um, what's that? Oh, buddy system. Yeah. So again, we, you learn buddy system when you were what, like preschool, kindergarten, but going around, um, making the rounds with a friend and knowing that, uh, you've got somebody else there to not necessarily like be your inventory checklist for you, but just help to be a second set of eyes. If, if you start working with a dealer or, or somebody else um, to, to make sure that like hands aren't sneaking in or, or yeah. nobody's doing stuff that's weird. Like that's, that's very, very valuable because it allows you to focus on what you're trying to accomplish. And then that, that person can base is just your, you know, your eyes and your ears, so to speak uh, to looking out for you to make sure that, um, that you're still good. Um, excuse me. This is one that I mentioned last time. Um, it's something that I'm happy to do. I know other dealers do it as well, but I know other dealers often will not because it, it does take extra time. And it, it, many dealers are very, very good at multitasking. Um, and if, if you do this, it's basically you're getting all of the focus and they can't do other stuff. But um, if you're working on a bigger trade or a bigger sale with with the dealer um, and the values are starting to add up or the number of cards are starting to add up, like you're well within your right to ask a dealer to be like, do you mind if I just come back there real quick? Like, I, you know, I think we're close. If you if you start off by saying, I've got a lot of cards, can I come behind the booth? The dealer's going to be like, probably not. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're getting close on something um, and you're you want, you want to make, you want to do the deal or like you, you think that you're just a couple pieces away, but again, there's people starting to crowd around or like the values are starting to get high because it starts as like, what about this hundred dollar card for a hundred dollar card? And then you've got like $10,000 worth of cards out. Just ask the dealer if you can go behind the booth and wrap things up. Um, I'm more than happy to do it. Like I said, I know other guys are, are happy to do it. Uh, but you know, not, not everybody will do that. And with, with good reason, because, um, they, they are able to multitask at a very, very high level. So they're, you know, they might not just want to do it. So, but it is, it is always a fair question to ask, to say that, um, you know, is, is there, can we just kind of step aside and see if we can finish this up? Um, last point that I have, if you're not comfortable, walk away, you know, again, if, if the crowds start to get too big, if, if you don't want to be on camera, um, if you're worried about what you're getting, uh, from the dealer. So, um, we always kind of joke slash cry slash shake our heads at this, but you will see certain dealers that have a booth with 10 display cases of cards. 9.85 of those 10 cases will be filled with PSA slabs. And then at the bottom, you'll see like a little row or two of raw cards. And if you see those raw cards amidst all the PSA graded cards, it's like, 
Should I make a deal for these? Mm, it's a nice card. It's a nice price. But why isn't, why aren't these 12 cards out of the other 500 that are displayed? Why aren't these graded? Hmm. So again, if, if you can't get comfortable with the card, with the dealer, with the value, with the scenario, the terms, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Just be like, you know, pull the ripcord. I, I appreciate you looking through this stuff. We're definitely close. It's just, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to make the deal right now. Um, and that's it. That's, that's all you have to say. Um, some, I mean, some dealers might be kind of annoyed if, if they spent what they thought was a long time working on it. And it's like, you know, they might get a little, I thought we were close or whatever like that, but who cares? Like you're not comfortable with it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. As, lo as long as you do it respectfully, um, you just, just leave. There's nothing forcing you to stay at that table or with that person. Nothing. Yeah. The last one I wanted to add, we haven't touched on it is, um, is sort of like this, this mindset that we're, we're all here to be security for each other. So yes. like, not only am I looking out for my own stuff, but I'm also cognizant of things that you might have or some, some of my other friends might have and keeping an eye on it. Like there's an instance where uh, I was, I had pulled out some, some like fairly large LeBron cards. We're kind of spreading them out, looking on the table and a friend of ours, a mutual friend, he, the auto was facing up and you know that autos in light is bad. So what he does, mm -hmm. he, he sees me, he sees that I'm getting a little bit anxious that my cards have been out too long. <laughs> And he's closer to him. So he turns the, the card over so the auto's not in the light and slides it over more towards me. So it's like, okay, now he's he's recognizing as a friend. Uh, this is getting a little too spread out. I can see he's not enjoying this. So like as a unit, if there's 10 of us in a circle doing this type of thing where we're making sure we all have what we have, uh, you know, properly organized, the right people have the cards that they're supposed to have, it just vastly reduces the the risk in, in the, you know, theft area. So whatever you can do to help out as friends as well, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a great one. Okay, last but not least, and this is probably probably the most popular topic uh, because of everything that's been going on in the grading world. Grading, uh, the grading companies will be on site, I believe, all of them, right? I think SGC, PSA, and BGS will all be there, um, mm -hmm. and there's gonna be they're gonna be taking orders. And I think I'm I'm not gonna speak for all of them, but I think they're all going to be grading on site, right? Is that correct? I know. Yeah. I, I didn't check SGC because of course, but I, I know BGS and PSA, this, this will be their first time doing on-site grading in, I mean, since the pandemic. So. But there's going to be some, some pretty massive differences this year. Obviously the prices are a lot higher. We were trying to figure out if they were going to have some of the lower tiered items, but because the show is a short window of time, usually if you want to grade and get it back before you leave, you know, you're going to be at the higher tiers and things are going to be expensive, but even more so this year, because like the floor of prices is much higher than two years ago. So what can we expect on the grading side? <laughs> oh boy. That's the question, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, in terms of this year, I have no earthly idea. I, I mean, I, I, I know that's not helpful to anybody. I mean, it, in years past, the way that it's worked is, and I think this, it'll still follow this, this same kind of basic format. It's just a, a lot of the details will be different, but again, so we kind of alluded to, to it at the beginning of the show, but when things open up on Tuesday, um, all the dealers can come in and, and set up if they signed up for early dealer uh, setup. 
BGS and PSA are not open, technically. Cards will still be submitted to these companies. That's not to say that they will be graded, um, but in years past, cards have gone in as early as Tuesday. And a lot of cards have gone in as early as Tuesday because these are these are folks who are either group subbers, they're dealers who are doing it, you know, for their local customers or whatever the case might be. So cards start, even though general general admission doesn't open until Wednesday at four, cards start going in earlier than that. Just again, regardless of the specific date, cards go in earlier than general admission for these on-site reviews. Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember if Beckett, did Beckett start grading on Wednesday in 2019? I feel like they had to have, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't remember specifics, but in, if to the letter of the law, the when the doors open for sneak pre sneak peek sneak peek on Wednesday at three thirty for the VIPs, um, I would assume the the bur- the biggest first wave, the the first marching running of the bulls, will be right back to BGS and PSA and SGC, and again, these will be people who have hundreds of cards to submit. I, well, it'll be everybody. It'll be people who want to, who are there early specifically to grade and they got like five or six items that they just want to push through in person and they're going to use this as their opportunity to get it done. But there will be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot <clears throat> of cards that go in for submission in the middle part of the week. So what does that mean? If you are coming in, in years past, if you are coming in on a Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, and you put a card in, the return service, and again, th- this is me speaking solely on, on BGS because they used to have the raw card review, which was the cheapest and you know fastest, so to speak, way to get it done. If you put stuff in with Beckett on Thursday, by Thursday afternoon, they were often telling people that you would get it back with no special service like Saturday by end of day, maybe Sunday by closed. By Friday afternoon, BGS is usually complete, they're completely shut off for the rest of the show. Unless you're willing to pay the upper tier of the grading fee to have it done in like an hour or two hours to basically get to the head of the line, you cannot put cards through on their standard raw card review service and expect to get them back by the end of the show. They will ship them back to you, but you will not be able to get them back by the end of the show. So that's just a long-winded way of saying that there are waves and waves and waves and waves and waves of cards that traditionally have come in early in the midweek and what that does is it jams everything up from the get-go and if you are coming in specifically for the weekend and your main goal is to grade cards you need to understand that in years past those cards would not likely not be returned to you by sunday um this year as we all know bgs and psa haven't been haven't really been taking cards <laughs> the past several months um, they have been working through their massive, massive backlogs. Um, to PSA's credit, they are, it sounds like they're pretty much caught up. Um, to BGS's credit, they recognize that that they had to follow suit and they also need to work through that backlog. And in their press release, when they shut things down, they specifically said so they could get ready for the national. So mm-hmm. that's that's good. That's that's a good thing. Um, so in theory, both companies will be ready to go. Uh, by the time the national starts. However, we know that not being able to grade cards for, when did PSA shut down? March, was it? Mm-hmm. 
So PSA has been in March, April, May, June, July, five months. BGS will be three months. That's three months of backlog that everybody is just sitting on and waiting to push through. And this will be the first opportunity to push that stuff through. So there's going to be a lot of cards. There's going to be a lot of cards that go under grading. Um, I would imagine that we will see a situation that is no different than prior years. Um, the main difference will be that it will be a lot more expensive, a lot more expensive. Um, I think we've, I think pr- there's been some rumored pricing sheets. There's been some screenshots of, I don't know, tweets or internal things or whatever. Um, you and I both Googled last night or earlier this week, and we were not able to find the, like the actual national pricing sheets for BGS or PSA. I, SGC might've announced it. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't care. Um, but we still don't know how much it's going to cost. In the past, Raw Card for Beckett has started, and Raw Card Review is, sorry, to back up, it's, they put it in the plastic sleeve, they put it in the, the Card Saver 1, they review it in the Card Saver 1, and they assign it a numeric sticker grade that they hand back to you, um, and they will slab for you on site and guarantee that grade if you choose to slab it on site. But as soon as you take your Raw Card Review cards away from that BGS table, walk back to your booth they no longer guarantee the grade that's on that raw card review just so everybody knows that so like if it got a nine five at the national and then two weeks later your local card shop has got a sub going into bgs and you're like you know what i want to get these slapped per bgs's policy there is a chance that that nine five might get bumped up or down who knows but i it happens a lot where people have cards slabbed is or in the nine five raw card review holders and they come back a different grade so just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, but yeah, so the raw card review used to cost, I don't know, it typically started out like 15 bucks earlier in the week. And then it would, it would tick up, tick up, tick up as they got busier and busier. And then, like I said, by Friday afternoon, they just, I think they would accept the cards for raw card review at the highest raw card review price, but they just cut off that you're not getting these back by the end of the show. Um, but they also had like a front of the line option that I think at its most expensive was um, I raw card something in a one hour raw card review on Friday in Cleveland. I think it was a hundred bucks. Um, and then by Saturday, I know people were paying like two fifty for a one hour review, a raw card review. That's not to get it slapped just for raw card. So um, it's a lot of words to say that it's going to be a lot more expensive. I mean, there, there's no getting around it. It's going to be more expensive this year. I think people need to be ready for that. And you need to be ready for if you're coming later in the week that the turnaround times uh, will increase greatly so much that you might not get your stuff back by the end of the show before you leave. Yep. I would plan for the worst case scenario, which means I would expect to pay a lot of money and I would expect to pay for VIP on Wednesday. And that'd be the only chance I have to even grade my yep. high-end stuff, let alone my stuff that's been backlogged for three months. So just have the expectation. If you're pleasantly surprised, that would be great. But, you know, I'm, I would be planning for worst case scenario with the grading stuff. And and this is this is one more thing too, and, and you just hinted at it. But again, in your, in your preparation for the show, this is something you can add into your you know, your, your analysis or your assessment, like, okay, I, I know that I, I would like to push some cards through on grading. I've got maybe 10 high end cards. Uh, five of them are raw of these five. Do I think it would be worth it to push them through? And you can make up whatever you think that the cost might be, but you know, you can, you can just 
factor that into your decision-making process to help you kind of navigate the, the show overall. And that way you won't, you won't be kicking yourself and be like, Oh Christ, I forgot about like the, I forgot about the stuff that I wanted to grade. And you've been there since Wednesday and you remembered on Friday or something like that. And now it's, it's 250 bucks a card. So um, again, this is, uh, this is just another uh, cheap promo for like making some sort of inventory list. Start thinking about this stuff now. Don't do it like, Oh, I'll do it when I get the hotel. No, just don't. That's not a good idea. Don't do that. That's pretty much the uh, the summation of the show for me is expectation and reality and then pre-planning weeks before starting. That's why we were releasing this video now. National is over a month away, but we wanted this video to get out now because you need plenty of time to start planning because some of the stuff we're talking about, you should be doing it like now, in my yeah. opinion. You should and, be and there's going like to be a ton of national content and there's going to be there's going to be a lot of overlap. Like I know you guys with, um, with card letter and the crossover are doing stuff. Like I'm talking with, with Jake, um, nineties b-ball cards later tonight and, and Ryan and Chris, and there's just going to be, <laughs> why are you smirking? There's going to be all sorts of different national content, uh, that will be out there for you to consume and review and, um, eat it, just eat it up. A lot of it will be repetitive, but a lot of it will also be people like sharing their own personal experiences and, you will always learn something by watching that stuff. I guarantee it. Like I, I can't keep up with all of it, but I definitely always, I, you know, I try and watch you guys on the crossover whenever I can, like uh, Ryan card collector too. the, the videos and, and vlogs that he puts out for all of the, his national stuff are, are fantastic. Um, he has a wealth of experience and knowledge from doing this for several years as uh, as an attendee, not necessarily as a dealer. So like he, he knows, he knows how this works and there's so many guys that know how it works too. So when, when you see national content, like if, like Josh said, if you're going for a walk or driving to work and need something to listen to, just listen to 15 minutes of it, 20 minutes of it, and, and just try and find something to pull, uh, because the, the more that, you know, and the more that you can prep beforehand, um, the better your show experience is going to be. And I guess my, my last point that, I'll end on and that I know we've ended on before is that please don't, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like I've already had people um, DMing me on Instagram, just like asking about, you know, what hotels to stay at? Like, how does the, you know, the, we were talking about earlier with like, what do I do with my cards when I'm flying? Like, should I check them? Stuff like that. That those are not dumb questions. Those are very, very good questions. So, you know, we, we try to cover as much as we can in the video, but um, if you still need help or have questions, or if, if you only listen to 10 minutes of this, uh, what are we on? Like minute 110 now, uh, episode, then, then just ask, like, we're, we're more than happy to help. It's, it's usually stuff that we've dealt with before. Um, if we haven't dealt with it before, if I haven't dealt with it before, like I'll, I'll try and find out for you. Um, I'll try and point you to somebody who might be able to help out or whatever. Just, just please don't be afraid to ask for help because it's, like we said from the get-go, it's it's intimidating as hell every single year that I go for uh, you know, for some amount of time when I first get get on the showroom floor. But just know that like hour two will be more comfortable than hour one, and hour four will be more comfortable than hour two, and day two you'll be more comfortable than day one. So it's it's a lot to take in. It's sensory overload every damn day. There's always people screaming, yelling, hollering, hooting, filming, doing all sorts of stuff that you're gonna be weirded out confused by but um it's a blast it's so much fun and if our enthusiasm for the show well maybe my enthusiasm since josh you're never enthusiastic about anything except after you've had some seltzers 
if that hasn't come through on this video, like it, it should, because we are so excited. We've been talking about like the what ifs since last September, October of, of is this going to happen? We've, yeah. we've all been watching like vaccination rates in Illinois and Chicago. And it's like, are we in the bridge? Are we in the bridge five phase? Are we in phase yeah, four? We all know way too much about five? it. It's like we're, we're all trying to pretend doctor here and, and make sure that right. we're going to be able to do this because we love this and enjoy it so much. So it's, it's fun. It is a, it's so much fun. It's a blast. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And um, if you can make it, even if it's just for a day, like it, do it. Yep. All right, man. Well, you wrapped it up. So if they want to, if anyone wants to message us, uh, we can find Justin at 610 sports cards on Instagram and, and myself, obviously cardboard underscore chronicles uh, message us like Justin said, uh, thanks, man. This was great. This was meant to be the all-encompassing, every single detail that we can provide about National. It was intentionally very long because we wanted to get to everything, and I, I hope we did that for everybody. So if you have any questions, again, reach out to us. Thanks for your time today, man. Hope, you, hope it was good. Thanks, buddy. Can't wait to see you in a month. Yes, sir.